Say, well, the Old Testament's all full of an angry and wrathful God. We saw a little taste of that in Isaiah today. And then they say, well, it must be another God in the New Testament. He's the merciful, loving, kind God. And he says, right now I'm preaching through the book of Revelation. And to them I say, just turn the page to the last book. And that kind of resolves that whole, that whole question. Take your Bibles this morning. Open up to the book of Romans. We're, we're slowly progressing through Romans. We're at chapter 5. We'll be looking at this morning at verses 15 through 17. Uh, but this is a passage I believe we particularly need to just bow our heads and ask God for help as we come and see what He has for us. Father in heaven, it's uh, with joy that we open Your Word. But Father, I'm grateful You've given us Your Spirit to enlighten Your Word and to also enlighten our minds to be able to understand, to apply, to live out the principles of Your Scripture. And I, I pray especially this morning as we look at these three verses that, Lord, You would open our minds, give us understanding, help us mind some of the deep truths of the gospel from this passage for our, for our good, Lord, and for Your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we're about to open up today in Romans chapter 5 a really, really difficult passage. That's all I can say. And, uh, and there are those passages in Scripture that are difficult. Um, 15. Paul writes, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free, grace, the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because one of, um, one of man's Trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you right up front just to stop for a minute. I don't know if you've got them in your purses, tucked away in your shirt somewhere, but take your thinking caps out today and put them on your head because we're going to need the help of the thinking caps to be able to mine the depths of, of, this, of this passage There's nuggets in here that are laying way below the surface. Nuggets relating to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of justification by faith. And so this morning, uh, what we need to do is be prepared. We're going to take out our pick. We're going to take our shovels out. And we're going to come to the Word of God and we're going to dig. We're going to dig deep into this passage. and, And hopefully, by God's grace, grow in our understanding of what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to just remind us that Paul didn't write this book of Romans to a seminary class or, or, or to a legion of theologians. He wrote this, this book to a church that was at Rome. He wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to believers of all ages and all abilities and all giftings. And so that's, that's us in the room. And so I believe there's truths here that he wants us to understand know and apply in our Christian lives. So I ask you to hang in there with me. I mean, if your mind starts to drift and uh, things don't seem to be firing or connecting, 
plow in a little, little mentally deeper and, and stay. We'll go through three verses and be able to understand all that Paul is saying. You know, it's important that we don't just plow through these verses. Uh, you know, it's easy to go through a, a gravel pit and pick the gravel up off the ground and put them in our buckets and leave. But that's not what we're going to do today. The nuggets are below the ground. And we need to dig down in and look for those gospel nuggets to help us uh, this morning. And here's what I want us to see, that there's a foundation to this doctrine of justification by faith. It's solid. It's deep. And unless we understand that, we're, we're missing the, the, the doctrine itself. I mean, if I asked you what the gospel of, was, and you said something like this, well, it's really, it's just asking Jesus into your heart. Well, let me just say this, and I'll be kind of blunt, that that is not a gospel that's going to probably save anyone, number one. And number two, if you do come to faith in Christ through that message, it's not going to be a faith that's going to last. It's not going to be a faith that's going to stand up against all the opposition of this world. A shallow gospel will work its way out into a shallow worship of God. A shallow gospel understanding will end up with shallow assurance about your salvation. It'll end up with a shallow holiness in your Christian life. And so the gospel is far deeper than asking Jesus into your heart. And as we dig to discover the nuggets that are here in these three verses, uh, I hope that God will bring you to a point of seeing the beauty, the majesty, the glory of the gospel of justification by faith alone. That you might see that there's a foundation to this, this, this gospel that, that's solid. And, and unless you understand the foundation and are embracing it through faith, that what's going to happen is when the tempter comes, and he will, to tempt you in your relationship to Christ, he'll shake you. And, and, and if your gospel is, I need to ask Jesus into my heart, he'll just blow you right away. But on the other hand, if, if, you're, if you're anchored in, in the foundation that we're going to see today, uh, when he comes to you and mocks you, and he says, you consider yourself righteous? You consider yourself a Christian? Uh, don't you see what's going on out there in the world? Don't miss out on that. I mean, Jesus doesn't care that much about sin. Yes, ask for forgiveness and keep going on. That's how he comes. We need to be ready to give the answer when the tempter comes to erode our, our assurance of salvation. I believe if you know and embrace a strong gospel with a firm foundation, you will not be moved. You'll have answers when the tempter comes. And so you need to be aware of this. And so uh, my prayer is that the, 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 this gospel truth that we're going to see today in 15, 16, and 17 will even soften the heart of anyone here today who has yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you walk through those two doors and your heart is rock hard towards God and rock hard towards sin, I pray that when you see all that Christ has done, He will be so compelling that you will come to Him through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we saw back in verse 12, at the very end, if you look at your Bible, at the very end of verse 12, what do we see? A dash. Remember that? I mean, that was kind of unusual. Reading along verse 12, at the very end of verse 12, there's a, there's a dash. Remember we saw that this dash was, was put there, not, not by the, 
by Paul himself, but by the translators that have come along to give some meaning and understanding to, to the text. And what apparently happened was Paul's just riding along and he's talking about this great doctrine of justification by faith. He gets to the end of, of uh, verse 12 and he stops. And now we're going to see that he just goes off because he's so wound up as far as all that God is doing and helping us understand every aspect of this that, that he really stops and then he digresses. He goes through a parenthesis, if you want to look at it that way, uh, all the way down to verse 18. And so 12, actually 12 through 17. And then verse 18 is where he's going to pick up back where he left off in verse 12 where the, where the dash is. So you have the dash at the end of verse 12. You have that parenthetical part we're looking at today. Uh, and then we're going to see he's going to come back in verse 18 to pick up where he left off in his argument uh, earlier in the chapter. Now, were you here last week with us? If you were, remember there were two questions that we... These are like the big questions of life that we addressed. And I believe that the passage gave us some answers to. Uh, for example, where did evil come from in the world? Where did sin come from? Uh, why is sin so universal? That's one question, a lot of sub-questions. But why, why evil? And secondly, the second question was what? Why do people die? And uh, we saw Paul answer the question by painting a broad picture for us that we could see. He took the paintbrush out and, and drew a broad stroke picture of redemptive history from Genesis all the way through uh, the book of Revelation or actually the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that landscape of redemptive history, he took a smaller brush out and painted two portraits. A portrait of Adam and a portrait of Jesus Christ. And he summed up redemptive history this way. All of mankind find themselves under one head. And that one head is who? Adam. And then we see there's a second head that came along. And that second head is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that are in Him are below Him and in Him and, and receiving all the blessings that come from Him. And so this morning, if you're here... You have a head. Historically, you're either under the headship of Adam or you're under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we all find ourselves here today. Um, Adam was our federal head of the human race. He was placed in the garden with the responsibility given to him by God to represent all of mankind. You didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for him. No one asked for our opinion. But God says he's going to be your head. And whatever he does in the garden, it's going to apply to you. Whatever he doesn't do, it's going to apply to you. And so he was representing us. And I know one of the laws that was given to him was no more than you could write on a napkin. Today we have statute books this big. But in those days, in the Genesis, what? Just this one law. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. And of course, we're all holding hands with him, so to speak, and uh, wondering what he's going to do. Is he going to eat? If he eats, he sins. If he eats, he says, the day you eat, you'll surely die. And all of us who are in Adam, who are holding hands with Adam, spiritually speaking, we're going to die with him. We're going to sin with him. He's going to impute to us his, his, his deeds. 
And so what did he do? I mean, those of you who know your Bibles, you know he, you know, Eve was tempted and she ate and he willfully took it and he ate and uh, he died and we all died. So the sin came from his one act of disobedience. Sin entered the world through him and then death passed to all mankind. That's why we all die. He died spiritually immediately. He was alienated from God, went and hid from him, remember, in the garden. But he didn't die physically until about 930 years later. Somebody check me on that. I, uh, I've been using that for two weeks now. I, I was going from memory, so you know, we might want to fact check how old Adam was when he died. But I believe it was 930 years. And guess what? He sinned. And guess what? We sinned. Guess what? He died. Guess what? We all died. And that's how we left it last week. And at the end of verse 14, we saw this. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam, we were all in Adam. We all sinned. We all died. He was, a, he was given to be a type of the one who would come. It would be who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so Adam was was meant to be a type, a model, a picture of Jesus who would come later, the second head of the people. And uh, this is important. Even though Adam is a type, Jesus wants us to know there are some similarities, but what he really wants us to know are the differences between Adam and Jesus. They're the same to a point, but beyond that, there's, they're all, they're, there's a lot of differences. They're both heads. They're both heads of two different people. Uh, federal heads, in, in, and we see that through them uh, comes life, or through them comes death. But when you put the two side by side, that, you begin to see all the differences between Adam and Jesus being the heads. And that's the passage we're looking at today, 15 through 17. In these three verses, Paul's going to contrast these two men, their lives, how they're different, their, what, their impact. And sometimes you can tell the most about one of the heads by contrasting them with another head. And, and that's exactly what he's doing here. Let me give you an illustration. I know this is going to fall flat, but that's okay. <laughs> If I wanted to show you the superiority of a president of the United States, and I'm not going to take any sides in this at all, but if I want to show you the superiority of a president of the United States, I, I could follow Paul's example. I could say, well, they're both heads of state. They're both heads of a people. They make decisions that affect the, all, all of us, whether we voted for them or not. And so we have the head over here, of Donald Trump. And then we have the head over here of Joe Biden. And so what we want to do is we're going to drive home a point of the superiority of one president over another. And in the process, you can bring the fact that, well, they're both heads, they're both heads of state, they're both presidents. But then you start drawing the contrast and show where they're different. And in showing where they're different, you actually end up highlighting the, the, the very superiority that you want people to see in the particular head that you're referring to. And I'll let you fill in the blanks. Today we come to verses 17, 15 to 17. 
And as we begin there, we see the word, but. There it is again, but. Uh, Adam's a type of Christ, but. They don't exactly match up. They're, 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 they're not exact counterparts. They're stark differences. And so in three verses, we're going to look at the stark differences between Adam and the stark differences between Jesus. Three contrasts. Now, each contrast is going to be found in one verse. So, for example, verse 15 is a contrast. Verse 16 is another contrast. And verse 17 is a third contrast. And so his, his purpose here in this passage is to show the superiority of Jesus Christ as head over Adam. And as you're looking down through the passage, 15, 16, and 17, look at some key words there. They're going to help us because he wants us to see this. The word much more, that's in verse 15. Much more, that's in verse 17. And then another word that you see scattered throughout these three verses is abundance and abounding. These are words that help us see the superiority of Jesus over, over Adam. So if I broke this down into three headings, I would go with looking at the superiority of, a, uh, of Jesus over Adam. In verse 15, I would see the superiority of his, the bounty of his glory. The bounty of his glory. The second point would be in verse 16, the breadth of his glory. And the third one would be in verse 17, the bestowal of his glory. Okay, remember we're doing contrast here. Uh, so what we'll do, and what he does, he takes each verse and he says, now, this is the way Adam is, but look at Jesus. He's, he's much more superior than that. And so here we go. But, verse 15, there's a difference. The free gift, what's the free gift? Well, in verse 17, we see the free gift is the gift of righteousness, is not like the trespass. Now remember, keep your thinking caps on as we go through this. Don't get lost. It's, it's so easy to get lost here. What did he mean? The free gift of righteousness from Jesus Christ is not like the trespass of Adam, which ruined many, ruined all the whole human race because they all died. The result of Adam's sin was disaster. The result of Jesus' act of salvation will be infinitely more glorious than that. The word trespass there is an interesting word. We know, you know we talk about trespass as like sinning, right? But it, it's helpful in our own life to realize this word trespass literally means to deviate your path, not to be on the right path. You know, it's kind of like the idea is trekking where God forbids you to trek. It's when you start taking steps of disobedience in a direction contrary to where God wants you to walk in the pathway of righteousness. And just as the sin alone that, that is imputed to all brought a reign of death of all, all mankind, what, what sin is, is, is taking steps towards? Uh, it would be the sin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His path went over there rather than where it should have been. We've seen this over and over again in Pilgrim's Progress on Wednesdays. Uh, do you remember uh, Bypass Meadows? Bypass Meadows where they're walking down, you know, on the pathway of righteousness, and 
Yeah, it's getting a little hard, and it looks a little easy, but it seems to parallel. And why don't we just go over here, because the pathway's a little easier. And uh, Christian finds a path that is according to his wish, rather than staying on the path that is marked by God's Word. Hopeful sees the potential danger and asks, but how if this path should lead us out of the way? And Christian, however, persuades him that the path is safe. They cross over the stile, and for a time, their journey is easier, but now they're off into trespass. They're off into the direction of sin. And that's how sin is, and that's how, that's how Adam's sin was. For in many, many died through one man's trespass. And the many we saw there last time was all of mankind died because of this one man's one sin, uh, one-time sin. And we see that Paul points that out in the fall of mankind in Genesis 3. And that's nothing like the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. Many died. Now we're going to see the contrast to that one act of sin, that, that one trespass. Well, let's compare Christ or contrast Christ. Christ. Much more, there's that, we're going to see that twice in here. Much more, here's the contrast, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And so much more, we're going to see than, than one sin bringing the death of all of mankind. We'll see what Christ did. One act of Jesus abounded to many. The one act of Jesus on the cross uh, have the grace of God, even the gift of grace, of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So the grace of God was given through Christ, through his sacrificial death on the cross, the gift of righteousness, the gift of grace, all given to us because of Christ's death on the cross. The foundation of Christ's death on the cross was his grace, his unmerited gift of righteousness that abounded to many. Now, Death under Adam abounded to who? All of mankind, right? Death of Christ abounded to many as well. But it's a different many, is it? It's not that it abounded to the whole world and everybody's saved and everyone goes to heaven and we have universalism. But here it's abounding to those who are in Christ. Those the elect, those who before the foundation of the world were chosen by God. Those whom Christ came to save. All who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here's the main point of this, of this verse. Paul's contrast is this. Adam's one act of disobedience and Christ's one act of obedience in dying on the cross. And what they affected through each act. Adam's one act of disobedience, death, condemnation. Jesus' one act of obedience on the cross didn't remove Adam's sin. Uh, it did not just bring his humanity back to where it was. It did even more than that. It bounded beyond that. And, and I think that's important for us to realize because it's so easy to think that, uh, okay, well, Jesus died on the cross Mankind fell from the one act of disobedience of Adam, and they all die. Therefore, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death, that sin will be forgiven, 
and we'll, we'll end up where we were, forgiven. And is that salvation? That, that's going to be my question. Is that salvation? Is the work of Christ, the one act of Christ, a work that did one thing in your life, and that is to just provide for you to be not guilty before God, to just remove the sin of Adam? And the answer is no. It's far greater than that. It, it, grace abounds, as we see here. His gift of righteousness was imputed to us over and above the gift of forgiveness. And so he, he brought the Christ righteousness to each one of us that we stand righteous before the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's grace to save was more powerful than Adam's, Adam's act of disobedience to condemn. And so, you know, you think of the, the chorus to the, the hymn, sometimes we sing, Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. And so what I want us to see is this, and I, I, maybe by way of illustration I'll be able to explain it a little more clearly. If your understanding of the gospel is this, I have sinned, Jesus Christ died on the cross, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore all my sins are forgiven, you now have half of the good news. Just half. You say, well, I thought that was the gospel. That's half of the gospel. The other half is this. Christ has imputed His righteousness to you. He doesn't bring you back to where you were when you first fell or where Adam fell. He takes you beyond that. He brings to you the point of righteousness so you're actually ushered in to the very presence of God and have standing with Him that, uh, that even the Lord Jesus Christ has as His Son. Let me see if I can make a picture of this. So here we have Adam in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Picture the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right at the precipice of a cliff. A big cliff. Thousands of feet down. And there is the there's the fruit on the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and we're all holding hands with, with, with Adam. We're actually in Adam, but let's, let's just picture we're all holding hands with Adam as he's going on this trespass, getting closer and closer to the tree, and we're going right along with him, and boy, he sees that, and he willfully grabs, grabs the fruit, and what? He eats. He sins. And we know immediately, spiritually, he died. He, he died. And so he goes off the cliff. He fell. Humanity fell. The, the, the fall of man. And we're all holding on. Where, where are we? We're, we're, we're in Adam. And he goes over and we all go over. And when he dies, we all doubt, go all the way down to the bottom of the pit. Now, then comes the second Adam. Then comes Jesus Christ. His sacrificial death on the cross. And so we, there we see his... His suffering on behalf of sinners. And then all those down at the bottom of the, of, of the heap who end up repenting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ are forgiven, right? Sins are forgiven, washed by the blood of the Lamb. And so if our view of salvation is we're taken down out of the depth of, as dead people and put right back on the land where we were before we fell, we only understand half of the gospel. We have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, all, the, all that Christ is, all of His deity, all of His goodness, 
All of His righteousness is given to our account. We're not just made whole and forgiven and sent on our way. We're new creatures in Christ where Christ's righteousness has been given to us. And we're actually, instead of ushered on a flat piece of land, we're taken right up into the glory, you know, right up into the very presence of God Himself. And that's why whatever work Adam did on, on, in, in bringing condemnation, we see much more. Christ came into this world and not only brought forgiveness through His one act of, of uh, obedience on the cross, but he imputed, we have the imputed righteousness of Christ which gives us the same right standing before the Father as the Son has, with all the privileges that go with that. No wonder, Paul says, much more. And that's why the ultimate purpose, I believe, uh, in, in the universe, as far as the doctrine of justification by faith is concerned, is, is not to point out, oh, God condemns sin, that's true, but that Jesus Christ saves sinners, imputes His righteousness to them, and He receives all the glory for all of His grace that was poured out in our life. And that's what we have at the end of Ephesians 1, verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So Adam brought condemnation. Jesus, much more, brought grace, shined it abundantly, and gave us, imputed His righteousness to Him. And therefore, He brings glory to Himself and eternal glory to us as well. Here's the second contrast we see in verse 16. And the free gift, remember what's verse 17, what's the free gift? The gift of righteousness is not like the result of one man's sin. Now, here's the idea that the gift of justification was not like the sentence which came down uh, on the one that sinned. The sentence by the one who sinned is not, is not the free gift. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So there's Adam. He sinned, one sin, and that brought condemnation to the whole world. One offense. But here's the contrast. Jesus Christ, one act on the cross, brought what? Brought justification to all kinds of sins, not just one sin, not just Adam's sin, but all kinds of sins. The sins of every one of his people that he would save. This is one sin by one man, one time, that brought condemnation. But, the sin, but we see the act of Christ brings redemption to not just for one sin, but for all the sins of all the people he would come to save. That's what the contrast is. But the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. Uh, the one offense was the ground of the sentence, condemnation. So think about that in your life. Christians, those of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when Christ died on the cross, His one act of obedience by His sacrificial death, the shedding of His blood, what did it accomplish? In your life? What sins were forgiven in your life? What righteousness was imputed to you? Well, we, we, we see here that uh, what he's saying is, but the free gift following the many trespasses brought justification. And what, what I believe Paul has in view here is all the sins of each individual believer 
we see it included here. So when Christ died on the cross, it wasn't like Adam where he, he had one sin that affected everybody and they all died. Here we have the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And when he died on the cross, it was sufficient payment for all the sins. Not one sin, all the sins of all of his people. God's love for sinners is even greater than God's hatred for sin. He hates sin. He condemns sin. And yet we see that He loves sinners and He provides even greater forgiveness than the condemnation that came by one man's sin. See, Adam was not alone, but for the redemption of all the elect, all would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is glorious because, you know, it's going to become a time in your life where you're going to ask yourself, well, What about that sin tomorrow? What about that sin next week? What about the sin that I'm in right now that I'm struggling with and I'm having a battle with? And and is that forgiven? Am I going to be held accountable for that? The devil would make you think so, wouldn't he? But what this passage says is God is so glorious. The contrast is so great between Adam and Jesus that when he died, he died for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and uh, for all of his people. For all of mankind. That's unbelievable. That's how glorious His grace truly is. Justified, righteous by His grace. And then we see, we come to the contrast, the third, which is the bestowal of His glory in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So the one man's trespass is referring to Adam, his sin, because of his sin, death, what, reigned. And uh, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, I saw this last week, I read, he said, the world is a place of cemeteries to make sure this, you understand, this is true. Death has reigned through one man. Because one man, one sin brought death to everybody. And Adam was our federal head. But here's the contrast, much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So all, all die in Adam, death reign, but here's something even more that Christ did. Those who will receive the abundance of grace will reign through the one man, Jesus Christ. Christ's one act is much more glorious than Adam's one act. Uh, Will those who receive the abundance, he goes on, of grace and the free gift of righteousness. The abundant grace that we see here displayed in Christ is, is a grace that floods. It's an abundant grace. It flows out to everyone who he saves. He forgives. He, he, he imputes his righteousness. And all who are brought to put their faith in Christ and trust in him will be recipients of that grace. And then it doesn't stop there. This is the part we want to see. And they will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see that? The contrast is this. Adam sinned, death reigned to everybody. Christ's one act of obedience is justification by faith. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will reign in life. 
It doesn't mean they're going to have life eternal, although that's true. What he's saying here is they will actually reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Speaking of the future, this is true of all believers. You will become a ruling king in the eternal kingdom. I know that's hard to believe, but you will reign with Christ. You will reign with God the Father. I mean, you won't be in ch- ahead of them, but you l- l- listen to Revelation 3.21. The one who conquers will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Picture that, threefold sitting down. God the Father sitting on the throne, ruling in heaven. Jesus Christ sitting on his lap, ruling in heaven. And we're sitting in Christ's life, in Christ's laps, on the very throne, with him, ruling. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I'm just saying, that's, that's what Scripture says. That's the glory that lies ahead. The reign in life through this one man. You read about it again in 1 Corinthians 6. Much more, once you had a ruler, his name was death, but now you have a ruler, and and you're going to rule with him in life. And this is for all who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam got what he deserved, death. All that sin get what they deserve, death. Christ came and brought grace. Generously, he brought it abundantly. He was generous. He overflowed. He abundantly poured it out to all of his people who believe in him. His hands are wide open and saves those who will trust in Him as Savior and Lord. Now, that's a, that's a difficult passage we went through. This, you know, this isn't like all of Romans. So uh, some of you, I can see you. I can see it on your face. Wow, we made it through that. But that's, there, there's depths here that you, you should probably even go back and mind more deeply yourselves because it helps us see the foundation on which this great doctrine of justification by faith alone rests. Um, I mean, in fact, in some ways, I feel like we just got to stop and now exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and just worship Him because of all that He's done for us and our relationship to Him is our spiritual head. So the key word is much more. The key word is abundance. He's, he's superior to Adam in every way. He's superior to Adam in verse 15, the bounty of His glory. He's superior to Adam in verse 16 by the breadth of his glory. And he's superior to Adam in verse 17 by the bestowal of his glory as we reign in life with him. As I close this morning, there's really there's two heads. Let's keep that in our mind, our pictures, Adam and Jesus. If you're in Adam, just in Adam today, that's everybody in the whole world, anyone that's ever been born is in Adam, and that's all, where are you? You're dead. That's what the Bible says. You're dead. You're under the condemnation of God. He's your federal head, and and what happened to him is going to happen to you. But there's another head, and the other head is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he's the head who brings justification by faith for to all who will trust in him as Savior and Lord. And He's the one that will forgive you of your sins. He's the one who will impart to you the righteousness so you can have all the right standing between yourself and God. And He's the one who will 
bring you to a point where at the end of this life and you pass into the life to come, you're going to reign in life with Him. And it's all by the way of abundance. And that's why I would just call you today, if you're outside of Christ, would you come to Christ today and trust in Him as your Savior and Lord? I mean, what a, what a superior head He is, doesn't He? What a glorious head He is. He's one that we can bow before and put our trust in and believe in and, and have the gift of everlasting life and the, the exceptional gift of His righteousness. Come to Christ today if you're without Him. And Father, we close thanking You for helping us with this passage. It's, it is one that just doesn't easily fit together. It's one that challenges our mind. But I pray, Lord, that through Your Spirit You would give us understanding, especially to appreciate the superiority of our Savior Jesus. May He receive the preeminence this day in our lives. Amen.